John 13 verses 34 to 35 say this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The second reading is just across the page in chapter 15 and from verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Well, as Jason has mentioned, tomorrow is Anzac Day. To most Australians, Anzac Day is very important. Yes, many remember those servicemen and women who have served their country in all conflicts, which is only right. We should do this. But we also should remember that we don't commemorate Anzac Day to glorify war. No, the Gallipoli campaign of 1915 was a tragic, strategic military defeat that cost the lives of too many fine young men on both sides. The Anzac legend came about not because we lost the campaign, but because the Australian people themselves, in themselves, won a victory. In 1901, our Federation Fathers finally formed the the nation of Australia and our constitution. The campaign that was fought on the Gallipoli Peninsula in Turkey, and the battle went for eight months, in 1915 brought all the states of Australia closer together as a nation than did the Federation itself. At Gallipoli, we came together for the very first time in our history to work as one nation, as one family. And our friends across the ditch in New Zealand became our kin brothers and remain so today. Any Kiwis here? No? Oh, there. (laughs) Welcome. Anzac Day is a special day in Australia's and New Zealand's history. We not only remember those at the front, but all those brave and selfless people at home who helped to keep the wheels running, to keep everything going. This Anzac Day, tomorrow, falls only a week after Easter. So let us remember what Christ has done for us. Now before I get into the sermon, just let our, bow our heads in prayer. Almighty and eternal God, 
you alone work great marvels. Send down your spirit of saving grace. Bless our church gathering today. Pour upon us the continual dew of your blessing, that we may continually please you. Grant this for the honour of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I need to now use your imaginations a bit. Okay, It's a beautiful night. The stars are shining brightly and the moon is as large and romantic as the day you first kissed the, the smiling lips of your girl on the front porch of the family home back in Albany. Tamworth, Ballarat, Townsville, Mount Gambia, Launceston, Alice Springs, back home in Australia, the new country of Australia. Many soldiers are staring up at the silky cosmos, wondering, bemusing at their pearlescent shimmer, wondering during this peaceful moment at what the next few hours might bring. Thousands of thousands of men are in these thoughts as they continue to row silently and stealthily in the pre-torn darkness toward the foreign shore. At 04.30, 4.30 in the morning, the first men landed on the beach. By sunrise, two waves of men had secured the beachhead and were heading inland to capture the heights. The initial planning was brilliant and it was planned by Australian officers, and it worked. Unfortunately for the men, the Turkish general, Mustafa Ataturk, turned out to be one of the finest generals that had ever lived. And due to the British high command, arrogance and superiority complex of the time, they really severely underestimated Johnny Turk. They underestimated his his morale, and they underestimated his willingness to defend his own country. The Turkish soldiers were rudely awoken in the cool, chill air of the morning to be ruthlessly whipped into fighting order by their commanders. Their wonder turned quickly to fear as they heard soul-stirring yells of cooees and the war chants of the Kiwis. Big bronze men, as they charged up the, towards the Turkish frail, tra, uh, fra, fragile tra, trenches, and uh, they were about to overrun them. But quickly, the Turkish artillery got into action and turned their fire towards the, the, uh, the following waves of boats and into the into the hills and gullies. Loud shrieks reverberated the air like that of ripping canvas as fragmentation bombs burst overhead like fists of God. The murderous barrage from those first salvos pierced the crisp morning air, searching unceasingly and uncaringly for their soft, fleshy targets on the pebbly shores and the rugged mounds of the Gallipoli Peninsula. 
men from the 1st Australian Imperial Forces and men from New Zealand Army Corps, were still disembarking in their thousands from their frail wooden rowboats on a little beach called Ari Banu. This place was later renamed Anzac Cove. If you were to visit the old battleground today, 107 years on, it still would not be very hard to imagine those brave young sons of Australia and New Zealand on the 25th of April 1915 struggling up those steep and rugged thorn bush covered hills, struggling to be as quick as possible to take advantage of high ground, struggling painfully as they clawed their way up, crawling in deafening noise through the haze and the smell of gun smoke while carrying their heavy backpacks and their weapons, struggling fearfully as they watched their mates being cut and hacked to pieces by flying, searing hot, razor-sharp chunks of shrapnel and screaming bullets and grotesquely gleaming bayonets. Struggling unwaveringly with fierce and resolute determination as the never-ending explosions from the mortar and artillery fire stole precious air from their lungs and from their ears. And all the time, the ceaseless, monotonous chatter of the Maxim machine guns twisted their very minds. This was the first time that the men from all states of Australia fought together as one nation. As a matter of fact, the men that fought there weren't born in Australia. Australia didn't exist when they were born. They were from, say, the colony of Tasmania, the British colony of Tasmania, the British colony of New South Wales, the British colony of Western Australia. And this is the first time that all the people at home pulled together to do their bit as one nation. The perils, the hardships, the horrors of war at Anzac Cove, the effect at home with the cream of our young nation at the front brought the states of Australia closer together as a nation than Federation did in 1901. Australians and New Zealanders learnt a new lesson in the meaning of comradeship and mateship. They learnt the meaning of loyalty and not deserting a mate. They learnt to trust and have confidence in one another. They learnt to love one another. These days, as you walk among the row upon row of beautifully cared-for headstones in the Gallipoli cemeteries, war cemeteries, there is one particular inscription that is carved into many a headstone, and it says, Here lies an unknown soldier of Anzac, 1915. May he rest in peace. Then at the very bottom is the postscript, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. Jesus also tells us in John 13, 34, 
a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And again in 15.12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The evils of all-out war had made Australians pull together and help one another, love one another, just as Jesus loves us. Anzac Day is not about glorifying war. It is about ordinary people coming together in mateship and in love. During the 75th anniversary of Anzac Day in 1990, I had the honour of sharing some time with 57 of the original Anzacs at Gallipoli itself. All of them told remarkable stories of supreme courage. All of them told soul-stirring stories of supreme sacrifice. My very good friend, my mate Captain Peter Williams of the Royal Australian Regiment and myself were escorting an original Anzac digger. His name was Alec Campbell. He was only 91 years old at the time. And Alec, by the way, he was the last Anzac veteran to die. He died in 2002 at the age of 103. And as we were escorting him, we were strolling around the battle site of Lone Pine. And he was telling us how he lied about his age. He was only 15 when he enlisted in 1914. And then he became eerily quiet. He slowly looked about. His eyes went back to 1915. He to describe the attack at Lone Pine. And he wasn't speaking to two Australian servicemen of 1990. He was speaking to two Anzac diggers of 1915. He began speaking of the attack in present tense. Um, it took my utmost inner strength to try to understand what was going on and what was going on in his mind, it was very, very eerie. And a shiver went up my spine when he yelled at his mate, Billy, to take cover. Too late. Billy was bayoneted to death while fighting the Turks in those horrid tunnels. The Battle of Lone Pine was the turning point in our history. At Lone Pine... The Anzacs won seven VCs, Victoria Crosses, the highest award for valour in the Commonwealth. Lone Pine was a horrendous battle fought from the nightfall of the 6th of August until the early hours of the 10th of August. It was fought at close quarters within the Turkish tunnels using bombs, bayonets, fists, guts and stanima. Going into the dirty, smelly, dank tunnels was the only way the Anzacs could dislodge the Turks. In the three and a half days of fighting, the Australians suffered 2,273 men dead. 
the Turkish losses were estimated at well over 6,000. An Australian medic reported that the Turkish dead in the tunnels were piled to a depth of five feet. All the Turkish trenches were captured. It was an awesome and terrible victory. The courage, the heroism, the unselfishness and commitment of those young Anzacs caused the people of Australia to look at themselves as a whole with pride and with meaning, even amidst the great sorrow of the day. All those old diggers that I shared time with in Gallipoli in 1990 told me remarkable stories of supreme courage and supreme sacrifice. And what about the courage and sacrifice of the women back at home? Judy Small has written a lovely song called Mothers, Daughters, Wives. And one of the phrases of the song says, The first time it was fathers, the last time it was sons, and in between your husbands marched away with drums and guns. How many women have suffered such a fate? Maybe some of you ladies here, maybe. First off, your fathers go to war, only to have your husbands some 20 years later going off to war. Can you imagine that? And imagine how it would tear your heart when your little boys grew to be men and the call up for war came again. Will that cycle ever end? When you hear of these instances of such deep comradeship, the courage, the affection, the devotion of mates, or if indeed you have personally experienced such things, be still and reflect on Jesus. Jesus who died for our sins and rose again on the third day to fight for us and to stand for us as our everlasting intercessor before God himself. Easter is not long past, so the agonies of the Passion are still fresh in our minds. Close your eyes and visualise a brutally beaten and tortured Jesus hanging in unimaginable pain, unable to move because of the huge nails driven through his hands and his feet into a wooden cross. See his blood and agonised face, dying, not for his mates, not for his family back home, but for his enemies. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you could go back in time and be there at Calvary, see him being nailed upon that cross with the thuds echoing eerily across the valley 
and then returning with a haunting whisper with the spirit in the wind as a reminder of the solemnity of the occasion. And then the cross lifted with him hanging on it, unceremoniously bang, dumped into a hole in the ground so it stands upright. See his blood oozing from the gaping wounds in his body caused by the scourging of a leather whip that has rough pieces of lead and bone tied to each throng. Then you look into his eyes. You wish someone would wipe the blood that is flowing down his forehead and mixing with his sweat and trickling into him, into his eyes. The blood that is coming from his scalp, lacerated by an absurd crown forced down on his head, a crown made from a branch of the long thorn briar. Please, will someone wipe the blood from his eyes? And then your eyes meet at this moment. You will never be able to explain your feelings afterward. There are moments of spiritual insight that defy the limits of syntax and grammar. There are experiences that can never be poured into the moulds of speech. There are some things too deep for words. But all at once you see the meaning of pain, understand the significance of suffering. The meaning of prayer and the message of the scriptures are unveiled. You remember the words of the psalmist and the prophets, words that until now had been without sense or meaning. But now you see, you understand, you understand the meaning of the cross. And in the agonies of his death, he prays for his murderers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Could you do that? Jesus asks to. Modern Australia, after learning how to pull together and love one another the hard way from the evils of World War I and again World War II, are forgetting how. Modern Australians are sliding back down in the terrible abyss of the path of Satan in selfishness. They are losing the sight of the word family. Is that word actually disappearing from our language and being replaced by I? Modern Australia is losing its simple faith and trust in God. Modern Australia is too interested in the latest gadgets or the latest personal computers and their assorted attachments. The latest fashions, they are also too interested in drugs and booze and lust of the body, too caught up in sports and gambling. I wonder how many of you here today can't even turn off your mobile phone for a day. Why do you think Apple called it an iPhone? Many are too involved in making more money, their lives interwoven with one-upmanship, 
Their delusion is their own self-importance. And it's all too easy a trap to fall into, and we all do it at some point. In this modern, secular, affluent society, it is easy to be caught up in these things. And basically, it involves self-indulgence, selfishness. Sure, it's actually nice to have some of these things, and actually there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. There is nothing wrong in, with enjoying life that God so freely gave us, as long as you are using that life for God. And you must be right in your heart where you stand before God in your indulgence. Modern Australia is sliding back down the path of Satan in their own selfishness. Many people, of course, blame Satan instantly. The devil made me do it, they pitifully cry. But our own sin is our own harmatia. Harmatia is the Greek word for sin in the New Testament. And it strongly means our own fatal flaw, our falling short. Our fatal flaw is that we fall short of the first commandment. Lord, uh, so Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And then quickly falling short of you shall love your neighbour as yourself. That is our sin. And Satan is the expert in egging us on. My dad grew up and lived in Sydney all his life. He told me uh, one time that between World War I and World War II in the 1930s, there were traffic jams in Sydney on Sundays because of people going to and from church. Imagine that. And he goes on to say that it all changed after World War II by, among other things, the Americans changing our, uh, our laid-back bush culture with our own um, ability to improvise, to um, adapt and to overcome. And they changed it to their money is everything, planned obsolescence, throwaway culture. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. I wasn't there. But in any case, you can't pin the blame on the Americans. God has given us freedom of choice. If it is the American culture we are copying, then we chose to do so. Nevertheless, I can speak from my own experience that Australia has changed, changed quite considerably. And also today we no longer have traffic jams on Sundays because of people going to church. We just have traffic jams. We are living less and less in real communities. The communities that were caring, sharing, loving and watching out for one another, your mates, 
are becoming things of the past. We are slowly turning into an individualistic, selfish culture. Ads on TV even tell us that you must have these things because you deserve it. And as part of this culture, Australians are turning their backs on God and breeding a new form of hero. Heroes that look out only for themselves. Some of these heroes might have friends, but I doubt really they understand the meaning of love of Jesus. When you hear of these modern heroes bashing and robbing the elderly in their homes, or packs of heroes senselessly belting innocent people with bricks and tomahawks on railway stations, you have to shake your head in wonder. Among the worst of, uh, of these certain heroes are the footballers and other sporting personalities who seem to believe it is their God-given right to act as morons. Their morality has fallen to such a low level that often they don't even know or understand their evil. What would the, the true heroes, the Anzacs of Gallipoli think? What about the heroes of Passchendaele in France? The heroes of Tobruk in Africa? Milne Bay and Kokoda in PNG? The heroes of fighter and bomber commands over occupied Europe? The Navy's scrap iron flotilla in the Mediterranean? Those of Long Tan and the Coral in Vietnam? Karen Koch? in Afghanistan, what would they think? Australia is turning their backs on Jesus. We are failing him. How then can we, sinful people, and remember the real sin is our own harmatia, our own fatal flaw, how can we Ordinary Australians love the Lord our God and others as Jesus commands. This is how Jesus himself tells us in John 16, 13 to 15. He tells us that after he ascends into heaven, the helper will come. The helper is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus we then must draw upon the spirit of Jesus for everything he has is ours to draw upon. He will guide us in all truth. All that the Father has is Jesus and his spirit will declare it to us. What is the chief end of man. A man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Glorify and enjoy him by trusting Jesus Christ and believing in him. Never doubt his loyalty. Look to him with confidence. 
He will guard you when you are off guard and not forsake you when you are in trouble. He will never desert you. In fact, he has already laid down his life for you and he has risen again to give you eternal life. What could be more? What could be better than that? And you need to respond to him by applying to others the rule he suggests time after time. He says, as I, so you. This then is the way we love one another and we must do so ungrudgingly without counting the costs. Be ready and eager to give yourself. Keep on giving. Give your very life need be. Yes, it is good to remember the soldiers of Anzac and to remember how all Australians came together as one. Remember too that Jesus asked us that we should reproduce the spirit we find in him, not only toward him but to among whom we live. This is my commandment, Jesus says to us, that you love one another as I love you. Amen. Let us finish off with a short prayer. Almighty God, watch over all those serving in the armed forces and those who still suffer disabilities through sickness or injuries sustained in war. Strengthen and encourage those who have been saddened by the loss of loved ones, especially children deprived of a father's care and protection. Grant that the church has the same courage and resolution, the same comradeship and service shown in the last great struggles in which our countries were involved that this may now be offered in the greater task of making a true and lasting peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.